Welcome back to the Road Pod, and thank you very much for the comments that you sent into both Danielle Sturm and myself regarding the previous episode, episode 20. This episode 21 is the second part of that long recording with Stephanie Chamberlain, myself, and Danielle Sturm, Stephanie's human resources subject matter expert. We hope these episodes have been helpful to you and given you some things to think about. A recent poll by Pew Research found that two-thirds of all workers are concerned that we might be going back to work too early. So needless to say, going back to work, reboarding as I'm calling it, is going to be um, tricky. Welcome to the Road Pod. Yes, and I don't know that there's super clear guidance from OSHA yet in terms of what is the process of wiping down. Though what I have been thinking about recently and and used to think about regularly as we cleaning companies are often changed. It's a price war. Anytime there's any sort of budget to be reviewed, they'll change the cleaning company. It doesn't they'll promise everything and not all cleaning companies are created the same. However, I feel like this is the resurgence of the janitor because you almost need somebody on site back to that one client that's about 50 people. I know they just closed and fumigated slash sanitized at $5,000, which is a significant price for Mm -hmm. their building to be sanitized. I mean, are we going to do that every time or are we going to hire someone throughout the day? Because I think in the press conferences that I've been watching, they've been talking about an every four hour cleaning schedule. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's a janitor. That's not just outsourcing a cleaning company and trusting that it's going to be done and and frankly, yes, you speak about a janitor, but where does one gr- get a janitor right now and at what price, right? And where there's mm-hmm. obviously high demand going to be and the training of those people to, to do this properly, but also that individual running around the office trying to maintain a healthy and safe and clean work environment is going to create, goes back to, you know, again, friction, right? I, I've, I've got to clean the, the room. Oh, we're meeting in here right now. No, 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 we're on schedule. Mm-hmm. Forget the schedule. Yes, yes. You so know? even, again, that that's goes to the job analysis. Yep. And for example, at Zymedica, it used to be part of the receptionist's job. They didn't necessarily care for it, but we were super open about it because of the fact that it was a client-based organization where we would need to be putting our best foot forward in between every meeting, the receptionist was to go in and wipe down the tables. And um, it didn't always happen just because there was always a black backup. But in theory, those are the ways that you can do it. So you don't necessarily need to hire someone, but you definitely need to assign it to someone. And I go to the bathrooms. That is the sinks, you know, one of the things that we did at at one of my larger clients before this really became crystal clear about how serious it was getting is we ordered hands-free soap dispensers and hands-free paper towel dispensers. And I think that further to that, companies can start thinking about doors that swing both ways. And all of those things, there's so many of them, 
you know, what, how are you set up? It, it really is a personalized setup, but mm-hmm. people need to think about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. With but most of the work, for, I mean, work is pretty much second home for a lot of people. A lot of people spend more time at work not, and then home when they're not sleeping. So it's just good to even think about the, it in that way of how would you take care of your home and how are you taking care of yourself at this time? So, and if your employees can't take care of themselves, or they don't have the, the resources, what resources can you give them um, and do to make them feel safe and make them be healthy while they're working in, in your company? Yes. And I think that that is something very clearly the employer needs to define because there are various stages of what one considers clean or good mm-hmm. healthy habits and what somebody else thinks about. I'm always struck by the number of people who cut their fingernails at work or <laughs> openly pick their noses. And I'm not joking. It's a, this is actually a thing, but how do you, how do you even mitigate that behavior without <laughs> severely offending somebody? And so I think that's where the employer needs to get their baseline of a process or a reminder or a service announcement. And those are funny things, but they're, they're real. We, we just did a training. I did a training at, at Nemec on their HR segment. And we went over what people think HR is and what HR really is. And it's all the human interaction side. And that's where things get super challenging. And this is going to be the ultimate test. I have a question for you, Stephanie, and I, I don't know because I'm not from very familiar with HR. Is there such a thing as, I mean, HR instituting sort of a health and wellness audit? And I, I, it's the wrong probably term, a health and wellness, but an audit, you know, uh, logging how much this is being done, because I think that there's some liability. We have some, every company has a disaffected employee. Once you have more than one person, you have a chance of having a disaffected employee. And opening up an organization to liability um, because things weren't done properly. So I'm a big fan of these logs, but HR, someone is going to, uh, you know, maintain this log of what we do in the process of maintaining a safe work environment because down the road, if someone comes back and they say they get sick, they said, oh, I got sick at work. Well, how'd you know that? Because they weren't cleaning. Well, how'd you prove they weren't cleaning? Well, I just know they weren't cleaning as opposed to, oh, yes, we were. Here's the log. Here's what everyone was done. Here's who was tasked with this. And they filled it out every day. And I know that becomes a real pain in the butt for some people. And it's not, it's certainly not in their um, job description when they started. But I guarantee you, as we go back to work right now, job descriptions are changing (laughs) very rapidly. Um, so speak to that about how, you know, you'd implement that. I, is that a good idea? Yes. And I think that it exists to a degree at different places. Mm -hmm. And I think that it could be modified to include what tasks we need to add based on the COVID concerns. And so for example, an office manager may do an environmental health and safety check once a month where you go around and you check all of the lights on the exit signs and you check all of the dates on the fire extinguishers and all of the materials within a first aid kit. And so I think you can add all of that. And it reminds me of a restaurant bathroom. Actually, 
funnily enough, one that's probably clean is you've surely seen it where they hang the clipboard with a little sign off right. with a little sign saying we take this very seriously. And mm-hmm. so while that is not what we necessarily want to do, I think that there is value in thinking about back to what are those high touch areas and how can we allay employees concerns? If I might, this sounds kind of dark, but I just, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to get too dark, but I, I go back to what I said about the human factor being the biggest vulnerability in cybersecurity. Um, also insider threats and, there may be individuals that have had access to information on-prem, and now they're having access to that information off-prem. Uh, maybe the logs weren't kept as well because they're off-prem. Uh, they're on their laptop at home. Um, there's a lot of IP in companies and insider threats. Uh, you know, we dealt so many of these exercises, these scenario-based exercises, crisis simulations were based on insider threats. And once an insider has information, they have a currency to get what they want. And that currency can be from an external organization who wants to buy that information. You don't have to be you don't have to be a, a, a cybersecurity expert to understand that the dark web holds a lot of stuff to um, internal. Hey, I'm great. I've got all the contracts and I know all the dates and I know our competitive advantage uh, and I know how to um, release it to our biggest competitors if I don't get a massive raise. And I hate to be dark here, but this is, you know, people are people. And, you know, as we see every day in this pandemic where it's on the news, someone's spitting or sneezing on thousands of dollars of vegetables or who yells they have COVID and then attacks a, a law enforcement officer. You know, we have good people and bad people and they're in, embedded in every organization, unfortunately. And I think one of the things HR has to consider, and they may not have considered this before a lot of companies from a security aspect, a little bit of an audit around what that individual was doing, which information they have access to, which information was logged in, logged out. There maybe have to be a little bit of an interface between HR and IT. And I've seen this in large financial institutions because it's, 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 we, we don't like to think of it, but I'll give you one example. We ran a, a large exercise for uh, a financial institution, in the Midwest, uh, about $35 billion in sales. Um, we defined at the end of the exercise, as we go through what's called the um, debrief, which is at the end, we do a little bit of a debrief before we deliver in 30 days and what's called an after action report on our findings in the exercise. So we go through a little bit of a debrief. And one of the things we would do is simulate an FBI report because a lot of the people we worked with had experience in dealing with the FBI or they worked in the FBI. And we would, the FBI would put together a report outlining the perpetrator of the crime. And in the end, when you define who they were and this person had this background and he had troubles at home and he had some financial troubles and he drank a little bit too much and he was a very, very good sysadmin who was socially not very, uh, he wasn't very sociable. All of a sudden, people would turn around. We define that, and they say, "I've got, I've got five people like that in my on my team 
You know, I mean, I so it really it really speaks to how we look at this as we reintegrate. And I hate to be dark about it, but you have to think that there's going to be someone in every organization that wasn't happy before, and they may not, they may be even less happy now, and what they may have done or what they might do down the road. That's just, it's just a fact of life. So I, I think you're right. I think that that goes back to one of Danielle's very early points in how you make people feel. So counteract that dark with light, address what their concerns are to the extent that you can. And of course, there still will be some who will not be happy and who will break an ethical code. However, generally speaking, this already exists in terms of the very small technical job market. And so if you worked for Zymedica and Danielle recruited you over to Medtronic or any sort of competitor, that's not really a good example, but to a competitor, generally you have a non-compete, non-solicitation, non-disclosure agreement that you sign when you are onboarded onboarded back to your idea of a reboarding i think that you could simply re-execute that maybe the lawyers would love to add something to it where they specifically call out any information that you may have had access to temporarily during the pandemic is specifically addressed under this agreement and then what would happen is when somebody leaves for a direct competitor, generally HR department has an exchange of letters where they simply say, Tom was recently employed, that here is a copy of his agreement. And then that company is beholden to the agreement as well. Sure. So that's one way to mitigate that risk. Mm-hmm. But again, I think it's how you treat people. You have to make people not want to do that. People will leave naturally, but you you want them to feel welcome to come back. You want them to feel like you have supported them and not give them something to stew over. You should try to address their questions directly whether or not they like the answer, I think they will be respectful of the answer that's given as opposed to ignoring it. What can people, so we were talking about planning and what can people be doing now and leadership be doing now, but they're getting, they're talking to their employees, they're getting this feedback, they're creating plans. Um, But what can they be thinking about now that they can also be like implementing into a plan um, down the line? Well, let's start with communication. Mm-hmm. So as they're communicating with people, they can be figuring out what their concerns are. Mm-hmm. And they're building this database or spreadsheet of information. Then that can be, information can be extracted from that information pool and assigned to different groups. So maybe there's a group of people who do 
job analysis, another group of people that do physical space analysis, another who addresses environmental health and safety mm-hmm. process, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe you have them report back to the larger group. And so it, it it's it's a little bit of Tom's living lessons learned mm-hmm. document slash logs yep. plan. Yeah. So I think you could do all of that and, and, and achieve many of the objectives of communication, mm-hmm. making workers feel like you're engaging with them, not allowing them this speculation of what may or may not be. I think that we have to go out of our way to make sure that people feel safe. We don't want them to leave. The market is going to come back someday and we need our people ready to go. Well, I'm thinking too with communications, I don't know if you deal so with HR, do you deal with like the outside clients and are just, I guess you can talk to your own employees and just put in their head, especially if you work with other clients, other organizations, um, how to really address your clients and how to address people on the outside that you still work with and still have them feel like there's a safety or a, a, a communication between them. Do you suggest, like, is there anything that you suggest, like, for with us, we've been sending out not only newsletters to, we have a bunch of different groups um, of people that we work with through different programs or people that just co-work with us, but we've been creating, I guess, different messaging for each of those those groups um, to really talk about how we're working and how we're, what we're working on and what our plan is. Um, do you have any advice for how to talk to people outside your organization as well around this to make them feel comfortable? I think you have to go a little bit old school here mm-hmm. that you, I just had this thought about catalogs that I receive in the mail, which I'm mm-hmm. loving now because I think <laughs> we're, we're being inundated by digital copy. Everybody, everybody's over it. My eyes, I had to get a 32 inch screen just to save my eyes. And so I think picking up the phone and having a conversation Mm -hmm. is absolutely the way to go. People need connection and not just on the computer. I mean, I think it's the human connection that we are missing. And so this is probably the most exciting thing I'm going to do all day, but (laughs) is talking to you guys. But I think that that would be my recommendation is actually checking in with them and then maybe using what you've learned from them. Same as with the employers and employees, learning what you learn and maybe then doing something about it saying, Maybe your Instagram post will be, I talked with so-and-so today and this is what they're doing. And then mm-hmm. maybe referring people to them. And it, it's it, being as human as you can, the human and human resources. It's always been my belief that that is how it works. It's not, even in terms of community, I, I sometimes get myself all lathered up over the idea that you define community and then expect people to adhere to it. Community is community. And so hearing about what's going on directly is way cooler, way more fun. It's a way to learn. And and so I encourage that high touch. Mm-hmm. 
I, I agree with that 100% because one of the things that we talked about in scenario-based exercises was after you have an event, obviously people have a chance at that point to reassess their relationship, whether you're a vendor or you know, you're a client or, or somebody, we have a chance to reassess that relationship. And I think a lot of people right now will be looking to reassess their relationships with their vendors, with mm -hmm. their, their people who are consulting to them, um, because it's going to be very touchy in how this unfolds. It's not going to all be a day in the park with puppies. Um, and we would like to think it will, but I think you're absolutely correct. The old school reaching out to people, we would teach, we would instruct, would not always teach, but instruct and w whether they got it or not, was to reach out to vendors at that point and reach out to people who may have been one or two downstream um, in a supply chain, but have a big effect. If that part doesn't get there, no one else can do their job. And that we, you know, we can find, we can alternately source these two other parts, but they're the sole supplier, sole source for this part. Speaking to those people and speaking to vendors and understanding how you're bringing the organization back up, there has to, I, I can't emphasize enough the amount of, of communication that has to be after crisis because the le there's a level of trust that was there prior to an event. And it's not necessarily there after the event. There's always wondering, are they, are they as good as they were before? Are the people going to do as good a job as they did before? Or should we start looking for somebody else? Right. Or are they going to listen to the first rumor or are they going to call you and confirm it? Exactly. That's the other thing. So these human relationships, I can't stress it enough. They are of the utmost importance and will be what gets us all through it. Mm -hmm, exactly. Um, I have another question too, and this is more about sort of the human side, more of the resources side, since a lot of the companies we work with and a lot of people that listen um, are entrepreneurs and work for startups and small companies. Do you um, know or can you share anything of any acts that have come out or any programs that have come out to support um, employee or employers during this time? So... It used to be so easy. I knew everything about the Family Medical Leave Act that I could just spout it off to you. But now everything's changed. So mm -hmm. there are new laws. Again, I applaud the government, which is very unusual of, for me. But they have done a great job in protecting our workers and giving employers protection as well. Small employers, under 500 employees. And so the first act is the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. And essentially that provides guaranteed paid sick leave relative to COVID-19, as well as extended full pay for those who have been quarantined or are caring for children whose school or daycare is closed. And so that is essentially a paid sick leave component and an, ex an emergency family medical leave modification that runs through the end of 2020. I first heard that and nearly lost my mind because I thought every small employer I knew was going to go out of business because who could afford that? And then the CARES Act came out shortly thereafter, which within that 
it has a number of different areas that are addressed. But for the employers, it offers a payroll protection program, which provides loans that will turn to grants if the employer maintains their payroll levels through June 30th. So basically, it's a short-term fix where a an employer may apply for the equivalent of a couple of months of payroll, and that will cover them in the immediate term and also back to when the virus might flare up again. Mm-hmm. But they're very complicated and very unclear and a lot of companies are just getting their bearings on them. They're super and they are available. Companies under under 500 are bound to comply with them unless they can prove that doing so would put their operation at risk. Mm-hmm. And those are questions. I'm happy to answer any questions that any but he has again i don't they'll want to check with their legal team or lawyer but in general for smaller businesses they need to have it and i think it's great because if i have to go to connecticut to address something with my parents when i come back i'm required to be 2 weeks in quarantine in rhode island and i think a lot of different employees particularly where we're located are going to be crossing state lines. And so then they're mandated to stay home. And so what if they can't work? Um, And so that's a great stopgap. It's also a great stopgap for people who would normally go to work, even if they're sick because they need the money, aside from the fact that that's in our American individual spirit is to just plow through things and this provides relief from the financial aspect of that mm-hmm. well that was the end of all my questions so i just wanted to check with tom and see if there was anything else you wanted to to talk about no i just think that organizations i, I hate it to sound dark before but i think people have to really look at this um in a different way we've never had this happen before uh, we mm-hmm. didn't know how to how to implement this. It would just happen to be rushed. And a lot of organizations um, are going to have people that are going to come back and, you know, um, they really have to think through the process of mm-hmm. how these people come back and walk through it and make sure that they have a plan for it because it's going to be more likely it's – you can't bring everyone in on the same day. It's not, it's not going to turn out on the same day. And I think the conflict areas are are ripe. And um, people have a real chance to perform all the great things that Stephanie talked about in the soft skills and be positive, but also within the back of their mind, understanding that it's not all going to go according to plan. So have Mm -hmm. a plan because even if you have a plan, the minute that first employee walks back in the door, the plan's probably going to be modified a little bit. As they, as they say in war, it's um, I forget what the, the 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 term is, but you know the battle plan. The, the the minute the war starts, the battle plan's out the window. And we saw this in crisis simulations. I mean, some of the best companies in the world failed, and they had plans. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I think thinking through a plan and walking through it and understanding how it's going to happen and um, understanding what some of the pitfalls will be is, uh, you know, with your team is very, very important. I think my biggest takeaway from this too is like, no one knows what what's going to happen and what we we are going to do. Um, but before you even start planning, is to first, I guess, have empathy and have leadership. As we're all every everyone in the whole world going through the same thing, and the one thing all humans have too is empathy. And um, once you kind of secure that and show your employees that you care about them and that we're all going through the same thing, that's when you can also, and you don't have to worry about them freaking out or being scared to come back to work because they they trust their employers um and that's when you can start focusing on planning because you don't have to worry about your employees leaving after this or and any of the sort of problems coming up as well and i like i did say one more thing about the problems coming up as well when when we entered this coronavirus crisis we had a divided political spectrum and obviously we try and leave our politics at home when we're at work but we were very severely divided. And I think what we can see from the news is we're still divided. This is not rallying around the flag and let's all get through this together. There are still some people that don't believe that this is actually you know, an event, that this is being manufactured by somebody. Um, so I think those fissures are going to be exacerbated in the workplace mm-hmm. as we come back. And I think to Stephanie's point about the, those soft skills and positive to people. I think one of the things that senior leadership has to talk about is, you know, we're not going there on certain topics, whether you felt this was a perfect execution by the government or a bad execution by the government. We have to look forward to our execution as an organization and let those, don't open up those fissures. Let's not go there because I think that can be a breaking point in an organization again, as it could before, but it was, it was a little bit, you know, it was, everything was good. So it didn't matter. Well, everything's not good now. So it may mm-hmm. matter more. It, yes. And I, I agree with all of that. And I think that this is a real opportunity for employers to be honorable and heroic and unify our country and our people it's it's we were on the edge and this is a chance for us to all strip it down and let's get back to business mm-hmm. 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 And so, and i just just made me think too you can leave this in if you want but i mean even with if companies don't have that cash flow and have to lay people off like even from like a public relations and marketing perspective like for example, I read um, yesterday Sephora laid off like a big, big chunk of their employees. And the way they did it was in a Zoom meeting called the Zoom meeting 10 minutes before, laid them off, didn't have didn't give anyone the time to ask questions or say anything and just ended ended the meeting. And 10 minutes later, it's in the Wall Street Journal about how Sephora did this. And um, <laughs> it, even though like even though they had to, maybe they had to lay off employees, maybe they didn't, but they did. And this is the way they did it. And we're talking about it now. So even just empathy in the things that maybe aren't the best, like laying off employees is good to have. Well, people That's people don't do negative things well. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, they don't, they, they just don't. And, and I think, you know, what you just said about the Wall Street Journal, you know, going back to the crisis world, we would print our own Wall Street Journal and drop it on the senior leadership's 
uh, mm-hmm. conference table. And the one thing nobody wants to see is their name above the fold in the right-hand column with a negative, <laughs> co- with a negative article, just like you're talking about right now. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you those individuals who um, are thinking twice about their course of action right now and how they went about doing what they had mm-hmm. to do. Exactly. I think it's an, I unfortunately throughout my career have had to lay off a number of people and I became quite good at it. And it was because I was always kind to them. I was (laughs) always kind to them. And I think that that's another opportunity. If that's a difficult decision that an employer needs to make and results in somebody being laid off, there are so many different ways that they can support them in terms of introductions and Mm -hmm. general check-ins. One person I know that was impacted by a layoff recently who had worked at a company for eight years called me and said, no one from the other offices has called me. I feel like I am persona non grata. Like I, mm-hmm. why isn't anybody reaching out to me? It, so I think just acknowledging and being comfortable in the discomfort. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Stephanie. And if, Anyone wants to connect with you regarding um, your HR expertise, recruiting, or anything we talked about on this episode, what's the best way to contact you? My email address is stephanie at pinchnow.com, and it's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E at pinchnow.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks for coming back and listening to part two of this, and we hope you're getting something out of it. As always, you can reach me at tom at theroadpod.com. Thanks a lot. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.